You're listening to Campus Review Radio. To register for our upcoming Higher Equity Summit, examining the various barriers to equality in higher education, visit campusreview.com.au and follow the links to Higher Equity Summit. What are the reasons why more of this cohort is going to um, private providers? So there are a few different reasons that emerge from the research. Uh, Firstly, there are a lot of funding reforms that have taken place in the last few years um, that have allowed learners more choice and there's been more competition. Um, And with the funding structures and the restructuring of TAFE, we've seen more young people turn to smaller providers, particularly those early school leavers and at-risk. They've turned to small providers in their local community over travelling to larger providers. Um, In addition to that, we've seen some coercion of young people to take up training once they've left school early as a part of their welfare or Centrelink requirements. It's interesting you use the word coercion there. Yeah, so that's a word that was used by some of the people we spoke to. It's certainly not a word that's used by everybody, Um, but there are some young people who were described as um, part of their requirements to get Centrelink or to get their welfare payments. They have to either be learning or earning, Um, and when they face an uphill battle getting their foot in the door to get a job, um, they need to go and undertake a qualification, get further training to try and get a job. Um, So there is that sort of um, encouragement, coercive um, impact of the learning or earning policy. And as, as you mentioned, private providers generally aren't well equipped to take on these students. So, And then it seems as as the, because the TAFE system isn't working properly, that, the, that these students are forced to go to these private providers to stay on welfare. Yeah, so they're not necessarily forced to go to the private providers. Um, but I mean, just this week, we've seen uh, the big OECD report that talked about the fact that young people who don't have access to a range of supports often fall foot through the cracks. And if you think about a big TAFE institute, they'll have literacy and numeracy support, often childcare to support young parents, um, access to sort of housing support and referral to those sorts of wraparound services that enable them to stay on and continue in their learning. What we found is um, often these small, informal, private providers um, are very good at the training side and have excellent relationships with employers, but don't necessarily have those practices that are needed to respond to these very at-risk and very needy learners who have low literacy and numeracy, might be facing homelessness, homelessness, health and wellbeing issues. Um, and all of those issues can lead to them dropping out and not completing their training. Um, so the providers described a great challenge in responding to those um, needs of the learners without those inbuilt support structures. What are some of the supports these learners need? So they often need uh, remedial literacy and numeracy. So particularly for those who exited school before completing year 11. The providers we spoke to also described um, feedback from employers that these young people lack general employability skills. So they need support in understanding um, how to present themselves in a workplace, how to um, practice effective workplace communication, um, how to write a resume. Um, they're also requiring support for things like how to find a part-time job while they're studying, how to um, balance a household budget. Um, all those sorts of skills um, that young pe- people need to survive and thrive into a- young adulthood um, you know, are part of those latter years of education within schools. And when they leave early, um, those needs don't go away. <laughs> they still need that support. Um, they just might not be getting it if they're in particular types of providers. They seem to be being pushed into a sector which hasn't doesn't have a great reputation. 
Yes, yeah, so certainly throughout the, the period we were doing this research, it was a, um, a very volatile period for the private vet sector. There's been lots of media coverage um, of dubious practices. Interestingly, um, many of the providers we spoke to um, expressed some frustration and disappointment that the the dodgy behaviour or dodgy practices of a small number of providers has really tainted the sector as a whole. Uh, so we didn't look explicitly in this research at the funding debates and the quality assurance issues um, that are being explored extensively by colleagues um, in other research centres. We focused very much on what are they doing specifically for this disadvantaged cohort. Um, and we were driven to do that very much by the fact that the market share that private providers have has gone through the roof in recent years. So in Victoria alone, their market share of this very disadvantaged cohort is sitting above 36%, um, where historically this group has very much turned to TAFE. Is there any reason why these why these private providers don't seem to be providing the support services? Uh, so there's a few different reasons that were described to us. Um, first one's very much about economies of scale and size. So these providers tend to be smaller. Uh, they tend to be um, run by a smaller number of trainers who are very focused on the, the training side of it. Um, and while there's all the good intentions to provide the support, they don't necessarily have the economies of scale to have that support in-house within the organisation. Mm. So they're having to refer out. So size and scale is certainly one of them. Um, the other one is resourcing and cost. So where um, some other community and public providers um, have access to a broader range of grants and funding to implement some of these support programs, the private providers uh, don't always have access to um, similar equity funding programs and the like to be able to support and resource those sorts of support programs that are needed. And if these kids went to TAFE, would they find the support programs they needed? Um, it's impossible to give a definitive answer to that, but um, many TAFEs um, have, you know, historically because of their size, do have these um, in-house embedded programs. Some TAFEs I know still need to send or refer students to external agencies, um, but yes, most TAFEs would have at least literacy and numeracy um, and student support services in-house. Are in-house services the most effective? Uh, Yes. So what we found um, in talking to providers in this research is that support is often most effective when it's um, embedded um, and connected to the training and the learning. So where a trainer in a classroom um, is able to collaborate or work with a, um, a literacy and numeracy support person or a welfare support person and there's a collaborative response to the student, that's more effective than when that student is referred out to an external agency that might not have any awareness or understanding of the training side and how to support the learning of the young person um, in a holistic way.